Hello, welcome to Film Trace. This is where we trace the life of a movie from conception to production, all the way to release and reception. Uh, season four, episode five, maybe? Six, six, Dan. Are we on six? We're on six now. And it's an old movie, and it's our oldest movie. Yeah, um, oldest movie ever. Chris, you get to do the intro because it's your your baby here. And yes. then you also get to introduce our special guests. I'm happy to. Absolutely. So it's the 40th anniversary of the uh, horror comedy classic An American Werewolf in London. And it's written and directed by John Landis. And there was uh, a, a kind of surprise to me because I know how much of a horror junkie you are, Dan, that you hadn't seen it until Never I seen. picked it for the show. Yeah. So I'm super excited to go in depth. Uh, you, typically, when we do an older film on the show, it's kind of hard to find some research, but I found it actually pretty easy. This movie is probably most famous for its special effects, groundbreaking, the first uh, makeup Oscar. We'll get into all of that and more and look at how it kind of plays 40 years later. But first, I want to make sure to do a proper introduction of our guests today. We've got the boys, B-O-I-S, from There Are Too Many Movies. Thanks, Josh, Alex, Chris, for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yes, we are so excited to be here. Yeah. You can hear it in our voices. <laughs> Tell us about your podcast. What is it all about? Uh, so there are too many movies. It's just a, a movie review comedy podcast. We're based in Dallas, Texas. We break down a movie. We either toast or praise it, you know, roast it or um, sing its praises. We got trivia, games, um, a bunch of other stuff that uh, far be it for me to say we are a lot less professional than you guys yeah. <laughs> when it comes to critiquing film. Uh, we we it's mostly comedy, I guess. Yeah, I'd say so. Mostly, uh, there's not I really saying like we're comedians. We're yeah. not really comedians, yeah. but uh, but we are Hollywood's unofficial podcast. So yeah. <laughs> there's not really a format. It's a postmodern take on podcasts. There you go. I love it. Uh, meta meta <laughs> podcast. Yes. Uh, I did not listen to your recent episode on Tomorrow War, but before we jump into American Wear, I just want to get your, what was your guys' take on that? Was that a, a roast or a, what do you, what, I loved what was, it. <laughs> well, um, immediate. <laughs> it's a summer, it's what we call a summer fun top down action convertible fun time, which means <laughs> it's just you become a human box of popcorn and kind of enjoy the ride. Uh, that being said, was not that fun though. Uh, no. <laughs> About long. forty-five minutes long. too long. Yeah, yeah it was. It's very long. long. Sorry, but it's not as bad as people thought. I thought it was a fun time. I thought yeah. it was a good, you know, a good romp. Um, had you guys seen this movie? Are you horror fans? Let's start with that. I have personally not seen it, even though I have a film degree, which is <laughs> uh, it. It seems like they should show you this at film school now that I've seen it. But I admittedly have not seen this movie, even though I'd seen the name everywhere. I'd seen the title everywhere. I actually thought it was Teen Wolf, like the basketball movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, I love that movie. I was we like, all right, sure. Yeah, if we should have done that one, because then we could have talked about how there's an extra in the background of the basketball scene that flashes his penis, and they loved oh, it in the film. Right. Yes, I remember that. Nice. I caught that. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's still penis in this movie, so yeah, there's still plenty of full. Oh, yeah. Fun, so. yeah. 
so much so that uh, he actually got fired from his Dr. Pepper commercials, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. For having a penis. I actually thought that it, we were doing an American Werewolf in Paris. Oh. So unfortunately, <laughs> I need to leave this episode. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. He is notorious for watching the sequel or the season two of something before even going to season one. And oh I will say that's Netflix's fault. You know, they <laughs> started me on season two of The Sinner one time, and uh, Chris has not let me forget it since. Yeah, <laughs> that's rough. That's that's real rough. Well, <laughs> we appreciate you guys being here. Uh, it's good to get some comedy in the mix because I think uh, Dan and I take things a little too seriously sometimes. Oh, we're very stuffy. <laughs> we're very stuffy. You guys uh, are just so morose when it comes to film, guys. Like, <laughs> why well, is everything so serious? No, 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 no. You guys are great. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, am I the only one then that's been with this movie for a while? I, I, I saw this back in maybe like 93, like definitely was too young. I was probably 11 or 12 uh, when I got around to seeing this movie that I had seen in my brother's, my older brother's tape collection. Uh, and I just like kept wanting to go to it. And then I was just like, one day my mom's not in the house and uh, he's like, it, it's time. We got to watch this. And it was, I mean, it, it, it hit me hard. Uh, not just for the sheer fact of it being a horror movie um, that I'm seeing pretty young, um, but also the fact that there there's just like this weird tone to it, which is kind of part of its um, legendary status, but also a part of why it really wasn't received great by critics at the time as well. So I wanted to kind of start off by asking people's thoughts about the horror comedy subgenre in particular, like. Do we see uh, how this movie has uh, influenced so many? Real quick, just the basics for people that are, might be listening and don't know the logline. First of all, listen to the logline. Go watch it. It's streaming on Shutter as of this month, and then come back and listen to the rest of the episode. Basically, it's pretty simple. David and Jack, two American college students, are backpacking through Britain when a large wolf attacks them. David survives with a bite, but Jack is brutally killed. As David heals in the hospital, he's plagued by violent nightmares of his mutilated friend who warns him that David is becoming a werewolf. When David discovers the horrible truth, he contemplates committing suicide before the next full moon causes him to transform from man to murderous beast once again is this something that has do you think uh influenced the 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 world of horror comedies throughout uh the past 40 years i mean was there horror comedy before this i don't know i don't think got the film degree someone's got a film degree (laughs) when did evil dead come out (laughs) like 89 or something yeah later it it was later for sure okay wow Anything in the seventies? Something there must have been horror comedy in the seventies. The Blob or Invasion of the Body right. Snatchers. It was like uh, B movies, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Blob, this Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, I want to say was late seventies. Was it not? Oh, I think. We, I think so. If only yeah, we had maybe seventy nine. Eighties. Hold on. So I'll look it up. That movie's part is pretty comedic, to oh, be yeah. honest. Uh, yeah, but I think <clears throat> this is the first to be directed by you know a famous comedic director yeah Yeah. he did animal house then blues brothers kentucky fried movie which is like one of the first sketch type movies yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's as i was watching it i was thinking like is this this is a b movie before b movies were a thing is this is is that what i'm seeing it's like an exact halfway ground between b movie and cinematic experience right like it was a like it was a seriously theatrical released movie right 
by Universal, but it had such over-the-top B-movie vibes. Yeah. Albeit the execution of the practical and special effects were groundbreaking, but like it was, uh, I had B-movie vibes the whole time. Like, yeah. So it's it's a really interesting hybrid of a of a mood in this movie. Um, it's a real cosmic gumbo. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. The the thing that like sticks out to me is this fish out of water American abroad thing that they also mm-hmm. throw in, which well, is sort of like, and then like I'm going through and I was like, okay, this adds a layer of like I guess comedy, uh, or irony to the situation <clears throat> that he's in. There's like a lot of miscommunication, sure. all that kind of stuff. Um, the first ten minutes of this movie are actually hilarious if you think about it. Yeah. If you think about how the people are acting in that bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards them and like how obviously they're they're hiding all of this information from yeah. the guys about like oh no there's a werewolf outside they're just like <laughs> let leah let him go yeah <laughs> well they they're immediately introduced as i feel like the uh sort of stereotypical american tourist yeah. where they're like they're like oh we're gonna check this place out and blah not even respecting the culture and then right off the bat talking about like Oh, I gotta sleep with that girl. Yeah. She's so hot. She doesn't have a choice. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yikes! Hey, wait, what, dude? Didn't even book a hotel room. Just gonna shack up. Yeah, <laughs> and then they proceed to uh, walk into that bar, which, like you said, it's just like I so badly wanted them to just be like, "You guys seem tense." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on? How's it going, guys? No, it's like, what's on the wall? What's the star for? You wouldn't happen yeah. to be withholding any information from me that would be detrimental <laughs> right. to my health, would you? No, man. Um, and a, a large part of that, I think, is due to Griffin Dunn's performance, which is one of my favorite performances in 80s movies. And I feel like at least one of the reasons why he ended up getting the job for Scorsese's After Hours a few years later. And... Honestly, I've I've always kind of thought this since uh, fall in love with this movie back in the day. Where like, why didn't this guy get bigger? I think we can probably figure out why David Naughton did not um, really excel, other than the the penis incident. Wait, uh, I, I need some t- context to that. Yeah, I yeah. Someone tell the story. Like, what's his deal? He has a penis. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Pepper didn't want him to. Yeah. Yeah. He had too much uh, full frontal and apparently a lot was edited out. Uh, and, uh, right. And he, uh, Landis actually said he regretted editing so much out, but he had to do it to get an R rating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He edited out more, a lot of sex scenes. He edited out some of the gore. Like it would have been NC-17, you're saying? Yes. Yeah. The hell? yeah and right, the resolution right. of the film. Yeah, I mean, if you oh, show yeah. penis, it's almost always NC-17. Like, it yeah. can't be, it has to be like, you know, it's like a brief shot at yeah. most. Hmm. But yeah, yeah. he's like murdering people left and right in like <laughs> buckets of blood and like whatever. Yeah, yeah. the guy you're referring no to. But no peepees. Yeah, no Exactly. Peepees the guy you're referring to, what was it, uh, Gavin or Garrett? Griffin Dunn, who plays Jack, Griffin. the friend. <laughs> Gunner. He's double <laughs> uh, <laughs> What are those weird G names? He is so... Uh, he he did get more famous, but he's I feel like a supporting actor in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like even when they're like the whole scene when they go into the the bar though can be summed up. Can I swear on this podcast? Yo, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. The whole scene in the bar can be summed up as you fucking what, mate? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole scene. Like them just yeah. like so. Do you have? some tea or some soup and everyone's just like you fucking what <laughs> <laughs> like, 
just unrelentless. Do you guys have food? We don't got food. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, what do we make of like Landis doing this now in his career? Because oh, he's, he's pretty like, I mean, I mean, I, Animal House was huge. Blues Bloods was huge. This wasn't like, what was the budget on this? I think it was like six million back in the day, which right, like, a little under money. six. It's pretty cheap. Yeah. So, and like it's through Polygram Pictures, the production company, which was super new. That was the first year of their existence at the time. I mean, is this like a situation where like, he had this cool idea and just wanted to run with it. And like polygrams, like we're new, we have money. Uh, yeah, go for it. Or like, I wonder if this got like shopped around and rejected by well, like different companies. Go ahead. I, I was going to say um, a movie that came out around the same exact time of this movie is called the howling, yeah. uh, which features a lot of the same techniques used in this film. And whenever it was shopped around, it was pitched as a movie that would include a werewolf transformation in one shot. The, uh, what is it? The stunt coordinator or like the, the special effects coordinator for the howling was actually, uh, Rob Bottin who eventually was pulled by, uh, John Landis to do this movie instead because it's John Landis. He's a bigger name. He Mm, pulled him like essentially, uh, from a favor to be like, no, instead of doing that werewolf transformation, you're going to do this one. <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, well you're offering more money. I'm going to do it. But this was like very, I mean, there are two very different films, but like that element of the howling was sort of in a way, like, uh, I don't want to say stolen, but like they, well, American they sniped it. London yeah. Got to it first, I guess. Well, but that was the same concept. Sort of. So Rick Baker was actually Rick Baker. Rick Baker was actually making that the howling. Yes. And they apparently Landis and Baker had been talking about doing a werewolf movie for eight years. <laughs> and Jeez. Landis finally, finally said, Hey, I've got the money. Let's do it. And he's like, dude, I'm already doing a werewolf movie. Right. right. And he's like, well, now you're doing my werewolf movie. Is Ooh. basically what he said. Yeah. And so he took, he handed off the howling to his protege. Is Rob that Bottin. guy? Yeah. Rob. Yeah. The Rob guy. And that so you see like simultaneously in the same year two werewolf movies came out with similar special effects that um because it was like the same special effects team or protege and guy but uh basically landis just took rick baker over and was like and they have a very similar werewolf transformation scene but because it's john landis it's a bigger name and they had you know arguably bigger actors in the movie like this is the one that's remembered Mm -hmm. as opposed to the scene in the howling which is very very similar if you like kind of compare them side side by side and adding even more drama to the behind the scenes stuff is that uh the howling was directed by joe dante who became friends with landis during this and went on to direct gremlins another great horror comedy um and before the howling really the only big thing he had done was the schlock movie piranha in Mm -hmm. 78 which got remade you know back in the 2000s i think so so there is like this I mean, you're referencing I think you should leave, but it is kind of like a cosmic gumbo of these <laughs> these guys all trying to do this huge, like, groundbreaking thing. But from the comedy angle, instead of from the true horror angle. Right. Um, and The Howling did really didn't have as much comedy as American World from London, um, or definitely not as much as Gremlins a few years later. But it makes you also think that, like, these guys it's kind of cool that these guys connected um, ended up being kind of being able to both find success through that angle. Um, despite kind of what critics were saying at the time, which is that 
you know, horror and comedy don't mix well, but, uh, you know, history has proven otherwise. Um, I was looking up the Howling's budget, 1.5 million. Yeah. Ooh, so that came out in March 81. So it actually came out before. So it came out right. March 81. This came out, what, August 81? August, yeah. Yeah. So it beat it, but a much smaller film, like, you know, you know, one twenty five percent of this budget. Um, does it look I mean, here's another question. Does it look like we have different standards now, obviously, because, you know, we have CGI and all this sort of stuff. Does it look like a bigger budget film or does it look like an indie film when we're looking at it now? In the I mean, context it of the kind 80s? of it just kind of looks like an 80s film to me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that not indie, not big budget, just straight up. I think everything aside from the werewolf transformation looks like a very standard like 80s film but mm-hmm. but I, of course you can't watch this movie without that transformation which is like you know that's the price of admission right there is is that that yeah. scene yeah right I that's also think the that there. they're like I to- I totally agree that there's this kind of B B moviness to it um is kind of low budgetness to it aside from the transformation scene, but there's also like, uh, and maybe this is something that I just caught on with rewatching over the years, but I feel like it's pretty artistically shot, especially in comparison to other Landis movies and especially in comparison to other, other eighties horror movies. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is, uh, for whatever reason, Landis hired Robert Painter, uh, to, be his DP who uh, did Scorpio in 73 and nice. did uh, the remake of the big sleep in 78 and did Superman two the year prior. Wow. So like, yeah. it seems kind of strange that you would go for that kind of guy for this kind of movie. And yet once again, it's it, it, it I think it, it's all the better for it. I mean, the, yes, the transformation scene is iconic, but I, you know, very much have stuck in my head of like the kind of overhead camera in the moors when they're first approaching the wolf. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, the final shot, spoiler alert, but hopefully you're not listening to this if you don't know how the movie ends <laughs> of David's naked shot up body and then the hard cut um, to Blue Moon. Um, I feel like there's, there's those elements that make it um, that much more enjoyable because it's not just, you know, a schlocky fun uh, bloody movie that happens to also have really good special effects. It also has really good framing, I think, too. Well, but the dream it's clear. Shot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are amazing, and then, like the the violence is pretty. I was surprised. <clears throat> like, there's a lot of gore here that is right yeah. in your face. I mean, obviously yeah. the makeup and effects are are fantastic, but it's like pretty. What was this rated? It has to be rated R. But like, oh yeah definitely I mean, yeah. darn like that's like <laughs> that's ridiculous like some of those shots i was like this is some pretty intense gore you're showing here with this comedic sort of uh tinge to it what kind of comedy would you call this like what what's the vibe of this comedy it's not really postmodern scream right i was looking at your top horror comedy list uh Polly. um it doesn't really fit with scream uh it doesn't really fit with what we do in the shadows or Shaun of the dead those are more i don't call it postmodern those are like, uh, like uh, yeah, those are, yeah, those are like directly halfway comedy horror. You this know what I mean? Like the birth yeah. of campy horror, like campy horror comedy. Like I think, yeah, you know, Evil Dead was more serious, but Evil Dead Two was like just sure. true. Right, Evil Dead Two over the top, insane, yeah. fun. But like, I don't know. It's hard to the the mood of this is so confusing because like we were just talking about, it's artistically shot. The gore and special <clears> effects are mind blowing, like with the cuts and the face groundbreaking. And, 
They, yeah, yeah, they're groundbreaking special effects. And then the dialogue is the most dumpster trash. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like, he yeah. wakes up from a nightmare and he just goes, well, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's these cool sequences followed by these really silly campy yeah. over the top thing. Like when, when he starts his transformation into his into the wolf the famous transformation before going to the into the one of the most groundbreaking special effects montages and shots of all time he pulls out a book and starts reading it from the back and then just goes <laughs> oh jesus christ and then, yeah. and then gets up and starts transforming <laughs> oh it burns i'm so hot <laughs> yeah like, it's just so silly yeah. he's immediately pouring sweat it, and it's a then, little over the top and then it goes into the one of the most like amazing practical effects sequences of all time so you're like what is happening yeah, yeah. It's so, the, the it's, tone is kind of all over the place and like like you guys were saying it's kind of like the first to really mix those and mm-hmm. it's um it's a it's a funny thing <laughs> yeah i think it just lends itself well to having those uh since john landis isn't like an explicitly horror director and he's i guess more used to doing strictly comedies it sort of fills those peaks and valleys that would be filled with the typical horror things instead. Yeah, like the... I mean, there it, it, does it not boring to some parts of this movie, right? Some of it's just a little bit slow. <laughs> well, like, it's love story. Yeah, 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 the love story is what really kind of... Like, a little tacked was, on. It, I've definitely needed more with the two best friend angle. Like, after his friend is long dead, more more of that <laughs> more of those conversations and the yeah. progression of his decomposing corpse was the funniest thing to me he it's would just so up just like yeah. hey man how's it going yeah his and skin just, flat flapping around oh and they were so good too and um well yeah. i mean what one of the things that pops out like thinking about you know the, the dialogue seems a little bit kind of sophomoric and not great is that landis wrote this when he was 20 yep oh wow uh, so he wrote it in 1970 essentially and well, color me um, surprised <laughs> yeah right so you can see a lot of like the how they talk about women like this this uh this fantasy this love affair or whatever you want to call it uh seems it's very 20 year old ish yeah um, the, like the first fantasy anyone ever has is a nurse-based nurse, fantasy yeah. <laughs> nursing you back to health and then of course you uh you shack up um yeah. but uh also that like and one thing that rick baker said too is that this is one of the only times he's made a movie where the movie was not changed from the script hardly at all. Hmm. And so I kind of wonder, like thinking back about John Landis and who he was in 20 year old, does it, I mean, certain parts of it feel like it's a 20 year old's movie, but other parts, you know, is that Rick Baker's influence here? Like obviously hmm. all the effects and stuff like that. What's underneath all of that? Is there like a tight story here? Is there an interesting perspective about werewolves? And what they like mean, or is it just like kind of slapstick horror comedy? I don't know. I could see yep. it both ways. I could see there's something going on and something. This not. seems like a student film with a huge budget. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that's what it. Where it was like, hey, make whatever movie you want, and it's like it. It was ironically from a guy that has experience in movies, but it did feel like like some like a bunch of kids making their first like horror movie in the neighborhood totally. you can do a quick punch up just just anything at all into yeah. that script no nope. <laughs> don't alter your first draft john just straight, <laughs> straight from 20 year old straight to screen um yeah it's uh i feel like the dialogue in the the fake porno movies was probably better than, than <laughs> well that was hilarious yeah. yeah ironically the first this i read that 
the whole movie, unlike most movies, was shot in sequence with the exception of the porn scene. The porn thing was the first thing they filmed. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? And then they shot the rest of the movie in sequence. And the porn movie is another fun little weird quip. It's called See You Next Wednesday, which is something that is in every John Landis movie. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a fake movie or it's a yeah. billboard or it's a line or it's something where in it, its origin is actually from 2001 A Space Odyssey, my favorite movie. It, <laughs> I love it. I guess it's a shout out to that. So he right. he just keeps putting like this homage in all his movies. So Chris, don't you see the parallels of 2001 A Space Odyssey and an American yeah. world? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this movie came out 12 years or 13 years after 2001. And, you know, it really doesn't show at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 2001 and this movie in the same in the same ballpark and category for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, See You Next Wednesday was the line uh, he says to uh, uh, one of the astronauts in a video call when they're wishing him happy birthday. He says, all right, see you next Tuesday. And or next Wednesday. <laughs> and um, and, uh, and uh, so that is now in all of John Landis's like, movies and stuff is like a little easter egg but um i don't know what does it all mean what's <laughs> well, like is there I, I guess i wonder is like watch is there anything else going on here besides a 20 year old making a movie with a lot of big budget there's nothing else to to you know hold on to in terms of like a story or like a metaphor is there anything well, it's it's really just a metaphor for the american influence of capitalism and <laughs> that's what i'm looking for <laughs> let me just film school this real it's quick. about the space race <laughs> yeah. I, I do have an honest question though that's do good. you do you think this film stands the test of time without the sequence that we that we're discussing i mean i don't know if you want my opinion i think you're gonna want <laughs> do, Paul's opinion on that you might meet have you go, go first. What, what, I mean, you're, this is your little baby. <laughs> yeah, it's here, my. Like. It's yeah. I'm totally been just been fanboying, obviously. Um, no, but I, I I I feel like if I'm trying to be objective, yeah, this movie would be long forgotten. I probably would have never even seen it if it didn't have that tra- trans that iconic transformation. Right? It would have never won the Oscar. It would have never gone down in history. Uh, maybe we'd be having this episode about the Howling if Rick Baker stayed on that movie instead. Um, that said, I do think that uh, there's a lot of other pieces of the movie that are interesting um, and do stand the test of time, even if it's unintentional, even if it's something that's like subconscious into the movie uh, from Landis as just like being that sophomore guy that, you know, <laughs> put Animal House together and Blues Brothers. And there's not really much to look past those other than getting really great performances out of some really legendary comedians and he doesn't have Belushi here or Aykroyd or anybody, but he does have, I think a really strong uh, grasp on the idea of the, the connections between comedy and horror. And uh, I think one of the, the, the best things about combining those two things is that no matter what you're, you're kind of, you're letting something out, whether you're laughing or you're screaming, you're jumping or you're giggling. Like it's, it's that idea of like you're you want to do both of those things, and that's why people gravitate to both comedy and horror. And the fact that he was able to kind of find that thread, even if it is kind of basic, even if it is kind of first drafty, um, I think it's pretty spot on. Um, I do want to answer your other question quick about uh, 
you know, allegory or meaning. And I, once again, don't think it's necessarily uh, conscious or intentional, but um, there is a really cool essay if you do want to geek out film school style um, uh, from Rolling Stone about uh, there is some pretty oblique imagery of uh, those nightmares um, where the monsters that are invading his house in his dream uh, are all wearing Nazi uniforms. And there's also a kind of throwaway line from one of the doctors when he wakes up talking about like, who is this guy? We think he's an American. I think he's a Jew. And uh, I don't think that's something you can really shrug off. I, and to not only talk about that, but also with the, there's almost like a Hamlet esque scene that just happens to take place in a porno theater with his decomposing uh, friend and his murder victims where basically he's contemplating suicide and like, to, to, to have that in a movie that is otherwise so just like kind of um, uh, adolescent in nature, uh, I think really gets at a lot of the reasons why we watch horror movies and are constantly, you know, thrilled by the concept of death and uh, whether it be uh, a monster movie or a serial killer movie. Well, the, I, I mean- also... Oh, go ahead. So you're saying this wasn't a prequel to Animorphs? <laughs> it it could have been. It should have been. Uh, so wait, I so think it's just it's, about a werewolf. It's, it's, it's a werewolf Reagan, though, or is it Margaret Thatcher? It's got to be one of the two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's um, the thing about 80s movies. There's always a subtext about Reaganism. Always. Sure. Like, no, whether you don't want to see it or not see it, it's all there. Right? It's all like uh, a production of that time. So Yeah, the I mean, Cold the War, that, like, permeated everything at that time so it was just a sort of reflection of cultural sensibilities mm-hmm. for most what movies do, what do we make of the nazi demon sequence because i'm watching this uh was right. last saturday and i'm like what the fuck is going on man like, so i think bizarre. john landis just hates nazis it's <laughs> probably the uh... anytime there's like zombies it's now a cultural thing where it's like yeah. hey, you know what nazi zombie you make them nazis yeah. too throw that in so they're killable <laughs> Like, I don't know. Call of Duty owes royalties to John Landon. Yeah, sure. yeah exactly. Right. But uh, one thing you talked about was like, there's like a throwaway line about him being Jewish, right? And ironically, there's, and this is a real fact, believe it or not, they had to limit the amount of full frontal shots because he's not circumcised. Oh. So he, it's not even like, he's not Jewish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he's straight up not Jewish, which Bummer for the audience, I guess. Uh, they had to they had to limit all those full frontal shots. Shout out to Dr. Pepper. Um, but uh, that's a real thing. Like they were like, oh man, like your character's supposed to be Jewish and he's not a method actor. Do you so. think you could circumcise yourself for this shot? <laughs> Just go for it. Why not? Why not? Dan, um, Daniel Day Lewis is like <laughs> Dan, it's it. it seemed like you didn't want to give your like your full analysis though like what did you what did you think please tear it apart dan That's oh i mean with. here's the deal guys <laughs> like uh and this is going to get into another part of landis's career right yeah. so uh, i know landis from the twilight zone of that course incident right <clears throat> and that's sort of like i've never for me it's like i look at his career and i'm like look i love animal house it's it's great it's a classic started a whole genre essentially blues brothers is actually pretty good um as i get older i love it even more and more but like in coming to america of course three amigos these are great films it's just this twilight zone situation and the more you read about it 
the more he comes across as kind of a complete asshole. For those and that like, don't know, somebody <laughs> oh, who yeah, like, yes. Back up, back up. To, let's explain what happened on the set of the Twilight Zone movie so, three years after American Werewolf in London. He yeah, killed everyone. Well, yeah, they, there's two kid actors that he hired illegally. Didn't actually hire them, paid them cash on the table. The helicopter um, incident. Yeah, and essentially there's a helicopter scene. It was a Vietnam sequence. Uh, Vic Morrow, who's the father of Jason, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, he was acting with these two children actors. Uh, um, pyrotechnic like a thing goes off an explosion hits the uh helicopter it lands decapitates vic morrow and one of the kids and crushes the other kid to death and there's yeah. a whole long history of this you can go wikipedia and read all about it there's but the one a, a thing shutter series as well oh, oh is there cursed films there's one entire episode dedicated to the oh, the incident. oh yeah it i is, did see that on there that's awesome it is a tough watch but a must watch if you're a film absolutely film yeah, must watch it out. is tough they interview the art director uh the set designer it is it is tough and they are struggling through that interview the yeah. entire time yeah, they go through the trial and everything yeah I mean, you guys I, I guess my interpretation of that whole thing is that like i don't know man it just doesn't seem good no, that's, there's nothing that's good going on in that situation. Yeah, he's certainly Landis. culpable. Yeah, blood yeah. on his hands for sure. Yeah, and and I'm his anti did anything after that. Yeah, right, right. And his anti-union stance actually kind of started with American Werewolf in London, mm, where yeah. he was already trying to do sketchy stuff. Arguably, for a much better reason, he wanted a diverse cast of background actors, and uh, especially because London was very diverse at the time, becoming more immigrant friendly, um, Brixton riots, etc. And uh, he was getting a lot of pushback from the British Actors Union, um, which was vast majority white, very disproportionate to the actual population of London at the time. And he wanted to, you know, kind of go against the book. And, you know, l- luckily for that movie, everything was good and it was for a good reason. And you you do see, at least for 1981, obviously no main or even supporting actors or people of color except i think for one detective but uh in in ten, three years later he's probably thinking like i'm i'm gonna keep fighting the good fight against these damn unions and find <laughs> my relations the government yeah yeah and Rebel. and it, it probably fucks him up for life i hope he's fucked up for life what, but the thing about that there's a weird correlator that you see this rick baker interview he did with uh joe rogan right and it's like whatever joe rogan uh, but it was a fascinating sort of thing where he talks about like, this is, you know, we talked about the script before we didn't really change the script. We just went for it. He basically gave Landis gave, um, Rick Baker total freedom. He basically said, here's kind of what I want. Just go for it. And there wasn't a lot of back and forth. There wasn't a lot of sort of guardrails happening. I think Landis was just used to on some level, maybe a, a form of guerrilla filmmaking. And he's seen the results. And like Rick Baker even says, you know, it's pure Rick Baker without interference. It's the best thing I've ever done. And so there's that weird juxtaposition of like having control and following the rules and then sort of just being free and going for it. And I think obviously in the Twilight uh, Zone incident, it, it kind of went the wrong way. And I don't know if you ever, you know, did he ever recover from that? I mean, he's done amazing movies since, but he's also kind of disappeared. Is that just me? Yeah. I'm making this up. No, no I mean, definitely in the 90s. Oscar Beverly Hills Cop 3. What? Yeah, yeah I was stupid? surprised to see he was still alive when I went to his IMDb, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Right. And his son is no better. To, his son's kind of taken over, like Max Landis, right? Um, yeah. And he's also a horrible person. Uh, and his name is Max. Too. 
Yeah, I've heard <laughs> awful things about him. Um, yeah, very. It's candy. interesting. I mean, it's like uh, I don't know. Is this you know we were probably getting probably like jumping to the release sort of legacy mode of this conversation, but this is probably outside of say Animal Animal House. Is this and Blues Brothers probably top three films he's ever made? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was all downhill. Uh, if if uh, he hadn't if he hadn't uh, literally killed three people, uh, maybe we'd be saying something different. But like, yeah. whoops, yeah, quite the, quite the fall from grace. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's 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 rough. I mean, tra- we should be make. I think I should make clear that trading places also happened between Werewolf and Twilight, but uh, and that's uh, a stellar movie. But yeah, coming to America, I don't know how he managed to keep that together but i'm sure eddie murphy was mostly running the show oh yeah um so it's it, it's it's weird um but it also makes sense um that uh it's such a terrible thing would derail somebody so completely but i don't think i don't know if that's really effect i don't know i don't really think it's affected the legacy of animal house or blues brothers not at all or trading places say. why would General it affect the legacy of this one no yeah, that's I think, true. I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, I'm just talking. I guess it's subjective, right? Like, right. I know Landis from that whole the whole thing, and so like, and I see this. I'm like, I don't know. It's like I have a hard time. Sure. Do we do wait? Do we cancel Landis? Like, why isn't Landis canceled <laughs> for killing people In this year? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, aside from this dialogue and uh, a lot of full frontal with child actors in this movie, I might add as well. Yeah. Um, uh, he killed three people and he's not necessarily canceled. I mean, you know, what do you, uh, let's get a trending guy here. Like, I don't know. Let's, <laughs> let's start. Let's, let's start the from the power guy. of both of our podcasts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unlimited <laughs> power. Our We're going to captain planet this. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the two podcasts. I took down John Landis. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks CNN. Yes. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, but okay, what, what did critics think when this thing came out? That's what I can't figure out because I'm looking it's, at the Metacritic thing and I read well, it's a, all a lot of these. It's all over the place. Right. And I think, I mean, it, it, we talked about this when we were doing that uh, Michael Cimino movie, Desperate Hours oh, from yeah. the 80s, where it's like, you really can't trust anything on, I think, Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic pre-1990-ish. Um, and it... And ultimately, you know, the limited uh, reviews that are still available, if you do your own kind of read of the big, you know, the big three, uh, Variety, New York Times, and Ebert, um, it was very much a spectrum. Uh, Variety gave it a glowing review. Uh, Maslin from New York Times uh, said Landis's comic detachment, which has been fascinating throughout the movie, is something he holds on to even when a deeper response is needed. So she's... Uh, kind of 50 50 on it whereas ebert really you know he he was also kind of in a grumpy mood i think in the early 80s after the fail uh his failed uh attempt to transition to screenwriting um he that says that movie is hilarious by the way <laughs> yeah. uh, roger uh, ebert's movie yeah beyond oh, the valley yeah. dolls yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but he said uh that Werewolf in London seems curiously unfinished, as if director Landis spent all his energy on spectacular set pieces and then didn't want to bother with things like transitions, character development, or an ending. Which well, harsh but fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would actually agree with pretty the right on the money. Transitions and the ending for sure. There was a lot of abrupt, like, well, next scene now, and it just yeah. would it would hard cut to you know from nightmare to nightmare or from scene mm-hmm. to scene, and then the ending was just like shot bang credits it was just like oh 
oh, okay, that's all. That is all it is. Yeah. But I wasn't mad about the ending where it was just like, <clears throat> I did feel like, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but like, we're, I guess now we expect a full resolution to that and like her story after that and like going to a, you know, gravesite or something and then something else happening. Yeah. Like, we're so conditioned for a resolution right, that right. the fact that it ends the way it does is like kind of alarming, but then it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's like, oh, okay, that was it. I've never, by the way, I've never seen a movie try and tell a character to kill themselves more. Yeah. I thought that was what so that wild about? where it was like, it was like, dude, you just kill yourself. Yeah. What are you doing? You're yeah. going to, he's like, I can't. Yeah. And then just keeps killing people. And it's like, maybe it's uh, the, the virtue of man and ego. I don't know. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, not trying to film school this, but it's like, they, they really like the undead is telling him like, Hey, if you don't kill yourself, many people will die. And he arguably knows this and refuses to kill himself. Yeah. And because the dialogue, he's just like, come on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Essentially. And like, let's see. I, uh, let's see. It does make one wonder, you know, in retrospect, should, is this kind of Landis trying to tell himself to kill himself before he kills mm. the people in the Twilight Zone? So. The big brain take. <laughs> uh, I love that, though. I mean, that's good. I mean, critics are all over the place. You know, right. some of the major ones didn't like it. But this is this is not a cult film, is it? Would you call it a cult film? I, I would say so. I think so. You think so? Yeah. Okay, that's I would a cult say film. For sure. okay. And that's, that's a problem with going back and looking at reviews or whatever, because a lot of things, a lot of cult movies are they bomb on release they're trashed and then 10 20 30 years later people are like oh this is like so bad it's good or the genius wasn't appreciated at the time yeah and so now it's revered but pro- like it's tough to know exactly like what was the cultural uh footprint uh, f- like footprint yeah. at the time it's tough to like well i can answer that very simply if you think if this isn't a cult movie just imagine the reaction to it being announced in 2021 that an American werewolf in London is being completely remade. People what? are pissed. They're going to lose it. Yes. That that's, is, that's real, right? That's a cult film. And that's happening, right? Yeah, is that's it? real. That's an Max Landis is gonna tr- is, has been trying to do it for a couple uh, years now. That's so lame. That's so Hack. <laughs> well, what, what I was thinking was, uh, I wrote a, as I was watching this, I wrote down, I would kill for a remake of this movie. And then when I looked at John Landis's IMDb, I saw it was announced and he's producing it. Two wishes left. What? <laughs> Two wishes left. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, but then I would really, then I really started to think about how would they remake this movie? Because what it's known for is mm-hmm. practical special effects. Yeah, carry the movie. If you're going to try and one up Rick Baker, like, first right. of all, Rick Baker's got to be involved, period. If you don't do it, if he doesn't try and like best himself, yeah, nah, yeah. just fuck the movie. If you try and do it with computers, fuck you nope. and fuck, your, fuck yeah, the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's only, it's no, it must be done. It must take the comedy and ramp it up. It must take the blood and ramp it up. It must take the special effects and ramp it up. It must do a almost shot for shot, but trumping itself remake. Yeah. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that it would just be uh, the the thing remake from yeah the, the exactly. early 2000s. Uh, it would just be. Ugh. It would try really hard, but ultimately it would just be a CGI. You know. Yeah. Extravaganza. It's one of those things where it's. It just you see it and you go don't fuck this up you know yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you you're gonna watch it you you you're gonna 
from frame one, if you watch the remake of a, an American Werewolf in London, from frame one, you're going to be like, "Prove me wrong. Yeah, you don't need to do this." So you are you're starting from behind the starting line. Yeah, when exactly. it comes to mm-hmm. when you do a remake, like as, as soon as it starts, you're just tapping your temple. With yeah. your <laughs> just like, mm-hmm. justify mm-hmm. this. Yeah. <laughs> And you get you would have to get like this weird assemblage of people. Like you're gonna you can get like an artistic big budget cinematographer. Are you gonna get like the musician Elmer Bernstein a st- type of uh, score for that kind of thing? I don't know. It's like I mean, yeah, you're right. just want to give it to Den- Denny V. Yeah, <laughs> there you <laughs> go. American oh my gosh! Uh, and and Roger Deakins cinematography and score by Hans Zimmer just fucking put a ball on it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's one of the things about this movie that I noticed is it's, I guess, before like the major advent of uh, a sound designer incorporating constant ambient tones yeah. or music throughout the movie. So there are definite lulls where there's absolutely silence. And- yeah, well, you know, it's funny. There's a lot of uh, people want, they're like begging for the soundtrack to be released. And when it finally was, it was seven minutes long. The there you go. The rest of it was ambience. Yeah. Wow. And just keyboards and stuff. So like all these audio files and like music people were like, release the soundtrack. And they're like, all right. <laughs> there you it's go. Like, it's like two and tracks. Well, and, and Bernstein actually has a, a really interesting anecdote about con- composing and recording tons of music for this movie. But Landis just kept, said it, kept saying like, you don't have to do this, Elmer. We're going to get Blue Moon. Elmer. And yeah and and bernstein was just like fuck you i want to score this transformation sequence and uh he ended up releasing it on his own um years later under the name metamorphosis but uh it's just yeah it's pretty weird that like you have it's once again one of those kooks of landis where it's like why are you asking these people if you're not gonna actually let them do their thing except for rick baker and once again like going back to the idea of a remake like I he, he who who would try to do this with practical effects because Baker's retired. It's not like they're gonna bring him out of it. Guy from uh, Greg, whatever his name is, from The Walking Dead, dude. He right, yeah. So he's like the lead effects guy. So what about Tom Savini? He's not doing anything. He's like seventy five and like bored, probably. <laughs> retired as fuck. Yeah, he'd be really great for this. I mean, that is like it begs the question. So like that's a really good point. If someone said they're gonna remake this, people would like sort of be like, oh, this is bullshit. But why is that? You know, what is it specifically about this film that resonates still? Like, what is it? Is it is this something where, hey, it was a uh, kind of a cult film back in the 80s, built this reputation and now just has this like prestige attached to it? Or is this something that like, you know, younger people are are visiting and be like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. Like, who is the person that like canonized this film? Like what group of people did that? Rick Baker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're in like the, the comic mo- convention circuit. This movie is the reason that Rick Baker got hired to do Thriller. Uh, oh. And that, I mean, that cemented his status as the best in the business. Yeah. And John Landis directed that too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Michael Jackson approached them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So From he this saw movie. this movie and was like, I need everyone involved yeah. to do my movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it's a 20 minute short film or whatever. But yeah, it's wild. I think to answer your question, though, it's well, it's sort of a side note, but it the note of this movie is so confusing. So let's say I went in pretty blind, but not blind enough, because if if I had gone into this movie not knowing it was a horror comedy, not knowing it was John Landis, anything like that, I if you had said watch this movie, 
I would have thought this was a movie trying to be serious mm. and just coming across funny. Right. Uh, that's because they, of the script. Yeah, because of the script. and But then I would see the practical effects and be like, this is so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would, and then be like, but it can't be serious. But it's so good, but it can't be serious. Yeah. Like, there was just so many, there was too many laughable dialogue moments yeah. for me to be, to, yeah, so it's, the confusing tone is, it's going to be, it's, it's lightning in a bottle that can't be recaptured. Right. I just don't, yeah. I just, it's this, it's a genre bending thing that arguably was one of the most, if not the first, definitely the most successful to do it. And I'm glad you guys recommended it because I had no idea about, it was this much of a, you know, like I said, I thought it was the fucking basketball movie. I was, <laughs> so I was like, when I when I kept waiting, for, I was like, when is he gonna get to the basketball? <laughs> the whole movie, I was like, I was like, okay, so we kill a few people. He's in London. Do they play basketball? Right. They, they don't play basketball. <laughs> no, he's gonna like he's gonna end up throwing uh, discus or. I don't know. What they do Whatever they do in the UK. He's like, yeah. end up on a cricket. Cricket. Yeah, cricket. I don't know. It's fascinating to me, like, how a movie like this just, it, look, it, it's a super important movie. One, for the practical effects, without a doubt. Two, for what you talked about in terms of walking this tightrope of genre and this odd mixture of people involved. Uh, it's also a, a product of, like, basically... Uh, a tiny upstart studio that was an offshoot mm-hmm. of a record company, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. Uh, and somehow it mixes together and it works. Um, and I wonder, but like, I always wonder like, who is this like film nerds who are like propping this up? I just can't imagine an average person acting, you know, asking somebody to be like, Oh, you know, let's say they're like 40 years old. You're like, what do you think about American werewolf in, uh, in London? Like, is there mm-hmm. going to be, a reaction or is this going to be like oh it's just like people who are super into film talk about this movie a lot and that's why it has a status i think it's probably specifically horror nerds yeah uh, horror buffs be, definitely right? yeah Victoria, yeah. whatever yeah. the hell that magazine's called uh, totally right. sure. exactly anybody like, that has a shutter subscription <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it um okay any closing thoughts let's close this out what do we guys what do you think about this overall Guests go first. Yeah, guests go first. What do you, what's your final take on American Werewolf in London? I thought it was a happy-go-lucky fun time, man. I had a fun time. By the way, can we talk about the the car wreck stunts? Please, what the yeah. fuck? Did people They're not amazing. get sandwiched They're between amazing. cars? What the no. fuck was that? that was John Landis. He's a psycho. <laughs> He's yeah. like, you know what? We don't need the stunt coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> Just crash the fucking car. Yeah. Listen, Do I told, whatever you want. I told the safety guy 9 p.m. and it's 7 p.m. So. We're, we're rolling. Go. <laughs> we still got film. Yeah. Fuck him I up. Was, I was taken aback by that whole thing. It was just like absurd <laughs> I, and super Yeah. Violent. Yeah, people literally being ejected for their, their <laughs> yeah. I was like, head first. Yeah, head, and then and then immediately crushed by another car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like it was like I was <laughs> It was just, so cool. It turned into a Michael Bay film very yeah. fast. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Uh, I, but there was a scene where, like you were saying, it looked like the car went a little too far and literally sandwiched a yeah. human being, and it cuts away a little too quick. So I was like, wait You're a like, second. like, wait, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. That guy's now paralyzed, probably. Yeah, yeah he doesn't walk no mo. Um, <laughs> I, I think that this movie... Uh, I, I feel so kind of like detached. Like, I understand what you guys are saying. I... I 
and I respect that you guys feel a certain way about it, especially you, Chris. Um, but for me, I guess very much like not like a giant horror aficionado or anything like that. Um, I kind of look at it as like, yeah, I get, I get why it stands the test of time and it's Rick Baker. And that's why you watch this movie. You watch it for the special effects and probably nothing else, at least for, for me and my tastes, but it's definitely worth that watch because of that. It's worth the price of admission for that scene alone. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to echo that. I want to thank you guys for recommending this movie. Cause, uh, before, if you hadn't, I, I wouldn't have seen obviously one of the, uh, a cult classic and I, I, I enjoyed it. I had a blast. Um, just a few fun facts. I want to get out there. Just so they're said, uh, there was, uh, one second, let me find it in my notes here. So Rick Baker plays one of the Nazi werewolves in the nightmare sequence. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and he, and he was specifically the one who slashes David's throat. And he was very nervous during that scene because Rick Baker couldn't see out of the mask he was in. <laughs> John Landis added the gun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Landisian is going to be like a, like a term. Like now. when an actor gets murdered on set. Yeah, yeah. When, Brandon Lee and the Crow. Yeah, it's Landisian. Oh, yeah. When, oh. when things are just a little too unsafe. Yeah, um, I would say Kafka-esque if I knew what that meant. <laughs> um. Uh, also, at the close of the credits, did you guys know there's a congratulatory message yes. for the wedding of Prince Charles? Because, Who I mean, fuck? he called him a slur in the middle of the movie. Oh, so, yeah. So at the end, they basically go, well, also, congratulations on marrying. Like, they tried to, like, please be, don't kill us. Yeah, be nice about <laughs> it um, at the end of the movie or whatever. But just those little fun facts. I, I had a blast with this movie, and the price of admission, again, was the rick baker totally it's just rick the rick baker show and yeah yeah he just let him shine yeah totally thank you guys so much for coming on and i i mean it co-signed on everything even though uh you know i'm i'm definitely more biased in terms of uh hoping this movie's legacy lives on and uh i mean i guess my next recommendation would be to watch teen wolf because yeah, dude, <laughs> <laughs> it was so good it's one it's like a classic classic film in the 80s. you can skip teen wolf 2 with Justin Bateman, probably, but yeah. the the first one with Michael J. Fox, absolutely. Um, what do we got? Streaming on Prime too, just FYI. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it's more nice. of a comedy horror, right? Teen right. Wolf, comedy first well, for a second. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's barely any horror. Like yeah. it's more, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's much more scary. campy than this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What are you guys um, doing for your next episode? By the way. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, we haven't planned that. <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, well, we do have a Patreon where we do bonus episodes uh, nice. that are not exclusive or that are exclusive to like our Patreon listeners. And the next one is There Will Be Blood. Oh, Ooh, nice. Right? That's the next Patreon sure. episode? I think we agreed on yeah, that. Yeah, we, we talked about it. <laughs> it has been right decided. Now. It's not going <laughs> It has been decided Over ultimately. <laughs> when is this coming out, guys? <laughs> coming out tomorrow. No. Okay. Uh, and where where can people find your podcast? On the internet, it's on on the, you guys too many movies dot com, right? Too many movies dot com. Yeah, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok. Famously, uh, is our <laughs> oh, that's right? Our, that's our biggest platform, ironically. Yeah. Wait, our TikTok podcast. is. Yeah. Oh, is it yeah. because of the mayor of Easttown editor thing that I heard oh, in the Conjuring oh, episode? <laughs> uh, that was uh, that was part of it. Trigger I mean, warning: editors for mayor of Easttown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they. Uh, it, we've just had a few clips from our show just take off on there. 
So really? uh, if you, if yeah, you, we have about not on there, man. We have like 33,000 followers on our TikTok. Yep. Um, for whatever reason. Yeah. And we don't twerk we either. Have, yeah. We have uh, 33,000 followers on a children's dancing app. And then, uh, you know, it, it directs, it, it has, it has directed a lot to our actual podcast. So, that's so awesome, man. Yeah. That's really cool. But check if you, uh, if you search the phrase, there are too many movies anywhere, you will definitely find us. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Fantastic. Great stuff. Dan, what do we got coming up next week on Film Trace? Uh, this is going to be a special episode uh, because we're going to do three movies in one. We're going to do the uh, horror trilogy Fear Street, uh, which has sort of premiered the last few weeks on Netflix. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It'll be a good episode. We'll try and cram it all into about an hour uh, if we can do it. Uh, but thank you for listening. This has been Film Trace. Film Trace.